one of five stories in the Gospel of Matthew where people are commended for their great faith and held up as models for faith. What is interesting is that all five of these people who are commended, not one of them, not one of them, is a disciple whom we know are some expected usual follower of Jesus. In one of them, you've got a Roman commander, a Roman centurion, part of that hated army that was occupying Israel, who comes to Jesus, begging Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus says to this man, you have great faith. There's a story about two blind men who have faith. There's a story about a man who's paralyzed and his friends who have faith. There's a story about a woman who has an issue of blood who reaches through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And he says to her, she has great faith. And all of those, all of those who were ill, all of those who were sick, were, because of the law, were unable to worship in the temple of God. And so they were considered to be outsiders. And then we have the story of this woman here. The biggest Outsider of them all, a Canaanite woman. To this woman, he says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is great. And the Bible says the daughter was healed from that very hour. So what is faith? And there's the passage in Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Faith is... But trusting God to the point where we're actually acting on what we believe. I like that story about the uh, farmer out in Kansas uh, who was also a, a Methodist pastor. And they'd been in a season of terrible drought. And um, so the, the pastor called the people of that community together to pray for rain. So they gathered at the edge of this cornfield. The whole community there, the pastor jumped up on top of this tractor. He shouted, brothers and sisters, today we're here to pray for rain. And everybody said, amen. And he said, brothers and sisters, do you have the faith? And everybody said, amen. And he said, brothers and sisters, I mean, do you really have faith? And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. And the pastor looked at them and he said, well, if that's so, where are your umbrellas? Faith is actually putting into practice the convictions we have about God's work and what God can do through Jesus Christ. That's what this, that's what this woman has here. Now, now, I want to observe that everybody connected with this story is in somewhat of a desperate circumstance, including those people who were the first readers of the Gospel of Matthew themselves. I mean, we know that the woman's in desperate times, right? The Bible says uh, that, she, that her daughter was suffering terribly from demon possession. Today we might call that mental illness. Today we might say it was epilepsy. We don't know for sure. What we know is here was a woman who had a child who was desperately ill. And, and when someone was demon-possessed, very often in Scripture they would fall to the ground in convulsions, foaming at the mouth. 
Now, that would be a scary thing to experience in any circumstance, but particularly when it happened to be your own child. I had a cousin uh, who had epilepsy, and sometimes in church, my cousin would have a, a, you know, one of those episodes. And it was very distressing. Worship would stop, and, and, and he would be ill, and the family would try to help him. And I can remember being afraid as a child. I think as a parent, were I to see a child in that sort of circumstance, I would be desperate for healing. So this woman is desperate for healing. Well, who else is desperate here? I think Jesus is a bit desperate. You know, Jesus is, is in Tyre and Sidon. Those are coastal cities north of the region of Galilee. And they were areas that, for the most part, were Gentile. They weren't Jewish areas. They weren't places where any Jewish person, religious Jewish person, would want to go. Because, you know, there was enmity between Jews and Gentiles. Jews often thought of, of Gentiles as Gentile dogs. That's what people would call them. And Jesus was in a place like that. Why was Jesus there? Now, there's some people who say, well, he was there because he was trying to preach the good news to them. That he was... Telling them the good news of the kingdom, maybe so. It might be that he was there uh, taking his disciples away for a time of retreat. We know other times when Jesus did that, he had to get away from the crowds. But some commentators say, and, and I happen to believe this, I think he was there because actually he was trying to escape some of the conflict he was experiencing with, with the religious leaders of his day. And the passage that comes right before it, he's had conflict already. With the scribes, with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders and teachers of the town, towns and where he's been ministered, they didn't like the way he taught. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like the people he associated with. And they particularly didn't like his healings. And they were out to get him. And I suspect that Jesus and his humanity was just trying to get a break from the tension that he and his disciples were feeling. How about the readers, the first people who've read this passage in Matthew. What was their circumstance? Well, what we know about the people of Matthew's day is um, they were probably Jews who had become Christians. And you notice, when you've been a part of a, a clan, when you've been a part of a, a group like that, and you pull away to do something else, very often, it creates conflict, it creates hard feeling and division. Even today, I've read that uh, when Christians, when people, say in Sudan and other Muslim-dominated countries, will become followers of Jesus, that very often they're shunned by their own family. They're locked out of the community that they find themselves in. And I suspect that's exactly what was going on with the first readers of Jesus. At the same time, at the same time, the church by this point had mostly become a Gentile event. And the Gentile Christians weren't all that excited about accepting these new Jewish uh, believers. One scholar, Donald Hagner, puts it like this. He says to their Jewish family, uh, they had to answer charges of disloyalty to the religion of Israel. 
an affiliation with alien, if not pagan, religion, the large majority of whose adherents are Gentiles. Matthew's original readers were in an unenviable position in a kind of no man's land between the Jew and Gentile Christians and trying to answer both of them. Think how uncomfortable that must have been. How awkward. They were in a desperate circumstance for their own identity, for their own sense of being. And we know desperate times <coughs> as well. I know some of us today are desperate because of the health concerns that we're having. And the issues we're facing. Some of us today are struggling with relationship issues. We've got struggles in our marriages, partnerships. We've got struggles in our, with our parents, struggles with our, our kids. Some of us have got struggles with money or with the jobs we're in. They're unnamed struggles as well. We know desperate times just like these folks did. The, the reason Matthew recounts this story about Jesus, the event that happened in Jesus' life, was to, to give desperate people hope, to teach desperate people faith. And that's really, I believe, what this scripture is all about. This is about faith. Faith. The faith that can make a difference for you and for me. So what does this passage what does this passage say about faith? I think it's three things. Number one, it says that faith is about having the humility to be open enough to be surprised by whatever God has in mind. Because, you know, whatever God has in mind is very often not at all what you and I are thinking. Now, now it's always bothered me. What, why did Jesus not respond with his compassion and his concern for this woman and for this child, as he did so many other occasions. I mean, why, why does he respond like this? And I've even sometimes in my worst, in my worst times thought, well, maybe Jesus was just captured by the prejudice of the culture that he was in. This dislike of Jew for Gentile. Maybe that's what was going on here, but that's not what's happening. You know what's happening? Jesus is being obedient to God. He's being obedient to God. See, God, God had long ago, long ago, God had said that, that God was going to bring the gospel to the whole world, that the good news would be preached to every people and every nation, but it was going to begin where? It was going to begin with the Jewish folks, with those who were followers of Jesus, those who were Abraham's family. You remember what, what God said to them? He said, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to others. And through you, speaking to the Jewish people, through you, all the people of the earth are going to be blessed. Jesus knew that. He knew that, that one day that Jew and Gentile would be together. That one day God's mission would go not just to the Jew, but, but everywhere. And yet for now, the focus was to restore the Jewish family. That's that's where Jesus started. That's where he commands his disciples to start. Back in, in chapter 8, he says, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. And so he knew, he knew that there was a time coming when God was going to expand. But here's what I think surprised him. That it was happening right now. It was happening right here. 
And Jesus has the humility to say, okay, God, I will go with you, what you've planned. Faith is, first of all, having the humility to be open to whatever surprising things God brings. But there's another thing this passage tells us about faith. It says faith is, faith is perseverance and boldness even to the point of recklessness in order to accomplish what Jesus wants and what God plans. It is a kind of boldness and recklessness to accomplish what, what God wants according and what Jesus has planned. There is a boldness in this woman. Do, do you notice? I mean, when Jesus uh, does not answer her, first, he ignores her. What does she do? She, she calls out to her disciples. She, she keeps begging, I mean, begging them. She keeps nagging them. And they say, Lord, get rid of her. She's bothering us. Then, then when Jesus says, I was sent only to lost sheep of Israel, what does she do? Jesus is walking down the path she loves and gets right in front of her. And she kneels down. And she looks into his eyes. She says, Lord, help me. How could you turn away from that? And then when he ignores that, when he says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs, instead of being offended, <coughs> Instead of being sarcastic and angry in her response, she has this very clever response to Jesus. And in that, Jesus sees the faith in him that she has. And faith is having a boldness and a persistence like that. So I had a friend like that one time, not so much in terms of his boldness for Jesus, but in terms of his boldness to get whatever price he wanted to pay for things. I mean, he, he negotiated about everything. You go to the hardware store, he negotiated about a bolt. You go to you know, the pharmacy, he negotiated about, about the price of drugs. He'd buy a car, he negotiated. He bought a house, he negotiated. He even would go to the grocery store and negotiated about the, the price to pay for steaks. So one time he, he goes into this uh, old style, old style department store downtown in the city, you know. And uh, he goes to the sporting goods department and he wants to negotiate for the purchase of a rod and reel. And uh, he takes it up to the counter and the customer service guy is there and the customer service is not listening to his negotiating ideas. He, he says, sir, he said, the price is the price. You either decide you want it or you don't. Well, at that point, my, my friend decides to get pretty bold about things. And so he starts singing at the top of his voice. She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Singing like that in the middle of this huge department store. And people everywhere start looking and they start gathering and coming in this direction. Well, the poor customer service guy is there. And finally he says, be quiet, just be quiet. I'll give you the price you intend. <laughs> and he got his way. Faith is about being persistent about things like that, the things of God. It's about what Jesus has planned for you and me. It's about being bold to the point of even embarrassment in order to accomplish the things that God intends. And then there's one other thing. Faith is also about a single-minded focus on the one who is love at the center of this world and one who is power at the center of this world, and that is Jesus Christ. 
Now you know, you know this woman had asked help from all kinds of places. The Bible says there are plenty of people who were doctors in this day. There are plenty of those who were healers. We know there were plenty of you know, ancient remedies and, and uh, ointments and things like that. None of that had worked. None of that had worked. This woman knew that her only source of help was coming through Jesus. And she had, she had her eyes focused on him. You know, I, there, there used to be a hymn book we had in the first church I served. And in it was the hymn, Beat Out My Vision. You know that hymn? There was a, a, a line of scripture that was underneath the hymn. It was from the story of the transfiguration. And it said, when they looked up, they saw Jesus only. As if the vision we need is really to look only at him. That's what faith is. It's looking all at him. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that if your need is a health need, that you shouldn't go to a doctor. You should. You should take advantage of every aspect of medicine, every aspect of science or technology. You can. I'm not saying that, you know, if you've got a relationship issue in your family, you know, that you shouldn't take advantage of a professional counselor or a therapist. My wife, for instance, you shouldn't. You should take advantage of people like that or, or just somebody who's wise in the way of relationships. I, I'm not even saying that if you've got financial problems or difficulties with finances that you shouldn't use the help all around you. Listen, God works through those things. Jesus Christ works those, those ordinary ways as well. But in the final thing, in the final analysis, Jesus Christ works beyond these things as well. The ordinary and the extraordinary. The natural and the supernatural. And what's important for faith is that you and I know where the power comes from. You and I know where the love comes from. And you and I keep our eyes focused on him. This woman had her eyes on Jesus above all else. So there's a faith. A faith that's humble. A faith that's bold. A faith that's single-minded in focus. And how do we have it? You know, sometimes, sometimes I think I have strong faith. Sometimes I really do. And you have those times too, right? It's just we have a conviction that what God has to say, what we've heard in, word, in God's Word, that, that, that's, that's true. It's going to carry us through. Sometimes we've got that. And then Brothers and sisters, sometimes we don't. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm struggling to believe. How, how, can we, how can we see more of this kind of faith, this humble, this persistent, this single-minded faith to be a part of our lives? I, I think there's some things that help. What Presbyterians would call means of, of grace, some things that help. And one is that we build into our lives a regular time where we back away from the activity and where we reflect on things. That's what the Sabbath is about. That's what the practice of Sabbath is about. That's what the practice of having a time of daily prayer is about. We need those times. We need those times. It's, it's really the only way to see God answering prayers. I wonder just how many times you and I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, but we've been so busy 
we haven't seen the answer that God gives because God does not always answer the way we intend. And it's really and truly only by backing up. It's only by looking deeper that we see, oh, God answered my prayer or God's timing is different than I had planned. It's the only way we can see God's surprising activity in the world. We've got to back away. What else do we need? I think we need to be focused on Scripture. If Jesus is the source of love in this world, if Jesus is the source of power in this world, the more we know about Jesus, the more we experience that, that love and power in our lives. So we've got to be focused on God's Word. We've got to have time, some kind of regular time in our lives where Scripture is a part of our, our thinking and our practice and our living. And then prayer. And then prayer. And prayer doesn't have to be just, you know, sitting and praying. That's a piece of it. But it also has to be action. It has to be putting our convictions into action. Taking a risk when God leads us in new directions. These are the sorts of things that build faith. These are the sort of things that help us see God at work in our lives. These are the sort of things that enable us to say, there is an answer to prayer. So uh, I've got a couple of stories and I'm finished. So there, uh, there was this woman and uh, her husband died unexpectedly. 30 years old she was, this guy had an accident. So she was a widow at 30. And was a widow for several years. And during this time, she felt so lonely. She longed, she would cry out to God and say, God, I, I really want to get married again. I really want to get married again. Well, in her prayer one day, she had this image of what she needed to do about it. And here's what she did. And I've told some of you about this before. What she did is she took in, went into her closet and pulled out uh, a pair of her former husband's pants. She had a couple that she'd kept. And she put it down on the rocking chair next to her bed. And she got one of his shirts. She pulled it out and put it there, and she got a pair of his shoes and put it there. And she did what she felt like God had called her to do. She said, now I'm going to pray that God's going to fill those clothes with a man, with her husband. And now, look, her friends, her friends thought she lost her mind. They thought she was crazy. They come into her bedroom. What, what is this? Actually, I think they thought that she was caught up in grief, that she was still grieving. But you know what? In spite of that, she persisted. She prayed. She prayed. She prayed. Guess what? After some time, she met a man. And this man was one who loved Jesus. And he loved her as well. It was a huge answer to prayer. A huge blessing. The other story I want to tell you is from a time in the early 1800s when uh, Charles Finney, uh, who was the Billy Graham of his day, was preaching. And it was a time in Chicago when there was uh, a big drought. A big drought. And all the farmers were suffering and all the animals were suffering. And so Finney gets up in the, in the uh, pulpit that day and he prays for rain. And I just want to read to you if I can find it I want to read to you what somebody 
who was actually